Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Do you play guitar? A little bit, but really crappy. Our guitar player actually once tried to beat up a guy who tried to play Wonderwall on an acoustic guitar he found on a party. <laughs> <laughs> you won't do that shit here. <laughs> I actually learned to play like basic bass in a day and played a gig with like my friend's band. Cool. I played, you like, are joking. Seriously, they played like this charity gig and the bass player couldn't make it. So my mate was like badgering me to do it. He was like, come on, it's really easy. I'll just show you what to do. So mm-hmm. I learned to play it, did this gig like the next night. Whoa. It went pretty well. And then how I was just people, like- How many people were at the gig? Probably a few hundred, yeah. What? Quite, really? quite nerve wracking, yeah. But it was quite easy. We just played covers and stuff like that. And uh, and then after that, I was just like, yeah, it's easy, this music. I probably, the, hid- the hidden talents of Dan Burke. Yeah. Bass player. What's the stereotype about the bass player? Never gets the girl. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody cares about him. Often people say to me, are you a bass player? Just like from looking at me or talking to me. So I, I must have that vibe. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Peter Hook New Order look. You've, you've got to... Oh, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Not, I don't want, How well, often well, do like people say to you, are you a bass player? <laughs> it's probably happened twice in my life. <laughs> Someone was like, you, you're a bass player and your name's Neil. I was like, no, but I can see why you think that. <laughs> your name's Neil. <laughs> I sort of get what you're going, actually. Yeah, yeah. In a nice way. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough of that. Joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Constantine Keller. Hey, Ian. Back after a long absence, Constantine. Yeah, finally. Finally, yeah. <laughs> the usual email, if you want to get in touch, is podcast at onefootball.com. Get all your questions in there. Or, should you wish, get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating and leave a comment to let us know how you think we're doing. We do really appreciate that and it does help us get our name out there. So please do. That would be really, really appreciated. Anyway... Tuesday night was the big one, the one that was really going to explode. Chelsea v Barca, plenty of great players, plenty of history, and yet it was a bit of a damp squib. Or was that just me? I, I see what you mean, but I, I would say it was probably the most interesting, enjoyable game of the week um, in the Champions League. I, I actually what, found it, don't know what found that it quite about it. quite absorbing. Um, oh yeah, it was an interesting tactical battle. Yeah, thought Conte got his tactics spot on. Chelsea were really good, quite unlucky actually not to uh, not to win the game and it's a bit of a missed opportunity for them really because it's going to be difficult for them in the second leg now but um, but yeah, they gave a really good account of themselves, I was very impressed. Are you one of these people who goes to watch football and likes interesting tactical battles? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, not always, I mean everyone likes a 5-4 thriller don't they but um, I mean I don't know if you would call the uh, Manchester United's performance an interesting tactical battle but, but I found that game dull as ditch water. Um, so I, I certainly thought it was there was more uh, to sort of get your teeth into in the Chelsea Barca game. I have to agree with Dan. Actually, there are tactical standoffs where there is not much going on on the pitch, but this one was just really, really intense. I mean, uh, Barca tried a lot of things. I think Chelsea did really well. You have to see who they faced. Probably one of the best teams in the world right now, and still uh, they almost managed to win. Poor Christensen, but hmm. well, that's what decides such matches, and uh, I think it was all in all, therefore, a deserved draw. But as you said, then it will be quite hard for them to come now. It's interesting you mentioned Christensen, um, and I want to talk a little bit about Anderson Yesta and that goal. Anderson Yesta is my second favorite player of all time, so I'm always going hmm. to be impressed by whatever he does. But everybody was talking about Christensen and that error, but for me, the best thing about it was the way Iniesta had the presence of mind to capitalise it and the fact that he didn't pick the obvious pass. That to me was really impressive. The obvious pass 
straight across the box, mm-hmm. there's Suarez. But to actually have the vision to cut it back and see Messi in that, I was really impressed. Yeah, I mean, he's 33, isn't he, Iniesta now, but he's still sharp as a tack and um, he was always favourite for that loose ball and, and like you say, it was a great a great pass for him. It's, uh, it'll be a waste if he ends up going to China or where, wherever he's been linked with uh, at the end of the season, I think. I'd like to see him stay in European football for a bit longer. Don't do it, Andres. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't the calmness in his actions is still so impressive, especially when he's under pressure. It's simply a joy to watch mm-hmm. he's always had it always had it it, it, it is a, it is slightly amazing I one point to pick up on you there Dan mm-hmm. 33 and still able to do it <laughs> the, the, I was watching this game with American commentators they made the exact same point 33 and oh look old lad Iniesta here still able to do it it's quite old in football as years isn't it <laughs> be like, like dog years. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta count them. A exactly, bit more. your legs go at some point, don't they? Yeah. Anyway, uh, the interesting quote, quote from Conte asked where, afterwards. He said, "We were close to playing the perfect game." You think that's probably a pretty fair, fair assessment of both of you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, barring that mistake, um, Barcelona didn't really ever sniff. Um, barring the goal, I thought Chelsea's midfielders were brilliant, Fabregas and Conte. Um, they forced Barcelona wide into uncomfortable positions. Um, a few eyebrows were raised at the decision to start uh, Eden Hazard as a false nine before the game. Thought he was superb, along with Pedro and Willian up front. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I thought they were they were great all over the park, and it was just a um, an unforced error that that has, that has put them in a bit of a uh, predicament. Really, it is amazing how somebody like Fabregas is converted from a beautiful technical player into something of, of a player who can put in a bit of a shift. Mm to use a, yeah. a cliche term. Uh, also interesting that people were raving about Willian as if they'd first discovered him. <laughs> He's been great for a while. He is a great player and he showed that once again. I mean, I think he had both of their post-hits as far yeah, as I remember yeah. correctly yeah. and then of course he scored the goal. Yeah, he's a brilliant player and he brings a whole level of uh, or new level of dynamics to their offense, which is quite impressive. But this, as you mentioned, is not just the case like since yesterday. So... He, he has been sorry Dan go ahead you, I was just going to say I think that's probably his best performance in a Chelsea shirt in the whole time he's been at the club um, I think his problem is he, he is a good player but he blows a bit hot and cold um, oh. I, I looked up his uh, he scored 11 goals in all competitions this season which I was quite surprised that it was that high but only 4 goals in the Premier League oh. so he's not really contributed an awful lot goals wise yeah. you know in, in that in the, in the big games as you would expect um, but, but yeah on his day he's a great player and he, he was fantastic in that game best player on the pitch Would you like to hear an interesting stat about him? I would love to yeah, Constantine doesn't look too impressed, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> Since joining Chelsea in 2013-14, he has scored more Champions League goals from outside the box than any other player. He's a guy for the special goals, isn't he? Yeah. One of those players that doesn't score the old tap-ins and just lashes them in from 40 yards. And Dan, I'd like you to imagine you're Antonio Conte. Yeah. You've had your hair done. <laughs> You've swapped your very calm demeanour for that sideline heart attack approach. <laughs> How do you approach the second leg? Well, I think Chelsea have got to attack. Um, I think it's got to be the same same sort of performance that they put in at Stamford Bridge, really. I think Barcelona showed a lot of vulnerability in that game that can be exploited. I wasn't very impressed with Barcelona at all, actually. No, um, me neither. I tipped them to win the Champions League a few weeks ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking twice about that one now. Um, I don't think this is a vintage Barcelona team. I don't think Chelsea have a lot to fear there. Um, so, yeah, they've got, they've got to go and, go and get goals because, you know, even a vulnerable Barcelona... A, a, almost guaranteed to score at home, aren't they? Um, but I think, in many ways, it might suit Chelsea to have the home leg out of the way because they don't have to worry about conceding away goals anymore. It's just a straight shootout now, isn't it, basically? So 
as many goals as they can get. That those count as away goals for them, and good luck to them. Constantine, would you take the same approach or would if, you sort of t- sit back a bit? If they just keep up the aggressiveness that they showed in the first match, I think they actually have a chance of getting through there. As Dan said, it's hard to imagine they keep a clean sheet, so they might as well just attack and then see what happens. The worst approach would be to just, you know, wait for what happens, wait for Barcelona to take the action. That's never a good idea. Even on that big Barcelona pitch, mm. you'd counsel them to go out? Fabregas decided, said the other day that such a, a move would be akin to like a suicide mission yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing actually <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I think he's absolutely right yeah I mean he's played for them doesn't he so he, know, he knows full well what it's like um, you know, a Barcelona home game so yeah I think they've, they've got to try and take the game to them and hope for the best really can they? in theory absolutely <laughs> <laughs> in we will, practice? We, we will see what happens if they concede an early goal I think the head will come in as a factor and then it might get difficult for them but as you said, they have players that know exactly what's going on there, Fabregas, Pedro. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say they have a chance, of course. Okay. I mean, this is their season now, isn't it, pretty much? They're still in the FA Cup. Um, that doesn't count anymore. But, but the Champions League is, is what they've got to, got to be looking to aim for. So go for it, boys. Okay, there's your advice, Chelsea. <laughs> Elsewhere, Bayern's win over Besiktas means they have now won their 14th consecutive match in all competitions, equaling their longest winning streak of all time. Was it as easy as the scoreline suggested, Constantine? No, it wasn't indeed. Their first oh. half, despite the early send-off, was quite tough for them, which Hankus and some players also mentioned afterwards. They, uh, I think Hankus said that his players had a hard way to find the solution against this Besiktas team, who, which of course really went into defense after the early send-off for Vida. But then again, the second half like completely decided the match already, and there they showed what they truly can do on a big day. Okay. So, <laughs> no arguments over the red card. No, definitely not. No. That was a clear red card. Any players you'd sort of single out for praise on the Bayern side? Müller keeps impressing me for weeks because he had quite a tough time, especially under Ancelotti, and now he seems to be back on track completely. Two goals, one assist, and uh, yeah, he was one of the decisive decisive factors for them. What's the difference now between... Because he's still the same player. What's the difference between say what's I what's changed under Ancelotti? He's not and the Hankes. only person, but he is truly affected by the way Hankes leads the team. He needs trust and confidence. And under Ancelotti, a lot of players were questioned or simply not considered that important. And Müller was one of them. And I think ever since they have a new coach, James is another example for that. Mm-hmm. He sort of really blossomed and uh, just does really well. God, it's amazing what a little bit of confidence can do, isn't it? Yeah, a little yeah. bit of belief, indeed. Yeah. I thought Kingsley Common was very good. As oh well. yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean he took his goal really well. I thought it was a good performance overall. Um, I mean Robin and, and Ribery both started this game on the bench, which perhaps tells you the, the sort of long term thinking at Bayern mm. now that these players are slowly being phased out. And yeah. and Coman gave a really good account of himself and and could be one for the uh, for the future for for that those two roles. Interesting. Anything else from that game that's worth talking about? No, I think uh, it was <laughs> okay. unfortunately it wasn't as excited as it could have been uh, due to the early send-off. Afterwards, it reminded more of a handball match where <laughs> they just circle around the box and hope for the best. But of course, uh, I also remember Besiktas took the only three f- truly forward off after like 60 minutes when it oh, was okay. 2-0. So yeah. uh, it's pretty much decided. I we mean, were watching it in the office and um, I remember I-, I thought Besiktas were really good for sort of 50-55 minutes. Yeah. And I said to Lewis, I said, they've just got to stay in the game now, just stay in the tie keep it tight and as I was saying that Bayern made it 2-0 and it's like well that's it then isn't it it's over <laughs> that was that so we think Bayern will go through from this one it's looking good absolutely yeah. Yeah. looking good for them okay as for Manchester United the less we say about the game the better probably but there are two things worth mentioning the first of all that De Gea save 
Oof. Which one? <laughs> uh, I know the one, one you mean, but you know he, the he was I mean. awesome, wasn't he? He's an amazing goalkeeper. That guy's a monster. Yeah. Best in the world probably right now, easily, I would have thought. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good sign for Manchester United that when your goalkeeper is your best player. That's what I would say. No, and 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 God help them when he, when he eventually packs his bags and leaves for Madrid because I think mm. that's inevitable, isn't it? And uh, they're going to struggle. I think, yeah, yeah, I would. Well, one thing about that save, though, it was a. I don't mean to be like, you know, Johnny negative here, but it was a terrible header. I mean, it's still a good save. Mm. But I think it was, first of all, a really good save. The okay. header wasn't that bad. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Let's, Let's try to focus on the positive. No, no, I'm goalkeepers <laughs> probably don't save that. So I, I would say that's, uh, you've, got, you've got to put it down Okay, to sorry. I apologize. <laughs> the other thing worth mentioning is Paul Pogba. Mm. God, that's interesting. Hey, yeah. all these stories. He's getting benched. What the hell's happening? It's strange. I mean, the first thing... You've that got I've... a smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously I'm loving it. Uh, the first thing I find interesting about it is um, the way that an idea can kind of take hold in football really quickly and spread through the sort of vernacular. Mm-hmm. This idea that Pogba can only play on the left of a midfield three. Like everybody seems to think that all of a sudden. And I don't understand why this player, this £90 million midfielder, who was so good for Juventus and has got so much potential, has suddenly been pigeonholed as this very specific midfield player who can't do any other job. And I think Mourinho is... I don't know what he's playing at with, with this whole situation at all. Mm. We I were mean, a bit bemused by this earlier, weren't we? You never know what's going on like on the inner cycle of a team, but I also didn't understand, especially when he goes out and says he only plays players who are 100% and then plays on the other hand players who were injured for weeks that mm. just doesn't make much sense so I don't so, know it so must odd. have been some incident and I, I've, not, I've seen nothing from Scott McTominay to, to make me think that he's some sort of outstanding young talent who should be a perfectly be fine player but, but he's fine yeah he's yeah. fine but um, but there's, there's obviously something something not right there is he trying to make a stand here and show who's the Johnny Big Balls at Quite the club? possibly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I think if, uh, you know, perhaps in the summer, if it comes down to it, if this relationship still hasn't been repaired and mm-hmm. there's a showdown, there's only going to be one winner from that showdown and it's not Jose. They'll, they'll, they'll get rid of him before they get rid of Pogba. See, that's interesting because I would have said it's the other way around. Really? Jose signed a new contract, could get a lot of money for Pogba. Mm. Yeah, but I would agree with Dan. In such a power no, struggle, the players will always win in modern football, definitely. Especially if it's Paul Pogba. Well, I think there was a few rumours this morning that, that Pogba could be uh, put up for transfer in the summer, but at the moment there, there aren't really any interested parties. You know, the, he's not really Where would he go? justified his price tag at, exactly, yeah, and he's not really justified his price tag at United. Um, so they're, they're going to probably have to make a loss on him if they do sell him. I don't see them making a profit. Real Madrid at this stage. No, you're shaking your no, head. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's a player they need right now, and uh, I also don't see Real going for him. It's of of course it would be a prestige transfer which their mm-hmm. president Perez loves, but I think they have other targets. Azar, most of all. Yeah. PSG. Possibly, yeah. That's a step by anyone, that would sort of make yeah. sense, wouldn't it? Because yeah, I mean their boss also really just likes to show off with the big transfers, and Pogba is still a big name. Even though I have to agree with Dan, I haven't seen a lot recently that would justify like ninety millions, which they at least have to get for him. Otherwise, it's a fiasco. Mm. So. Okay, not good. And that, plenty of stories saying he's unhappy yeah. and other journalists reporting that Jose is unhappy. But something something is rotten in the state of Manchester, you might say. <laughs> Someone's unhappy at the right Someone Devils. is unhappy, yeah. Finally, Shakhtar beat Roma 2-1 despite the Italian side going up. I think it's fair to say Eusebio de Frank, Francesco was not happy with his side, he said afterwards. After the equaliser, I should have substituted half the team. 
Shakhtar are very dangerous when attacking. We knew that. But it was our play that was the problem with too many mistakes and our passing was not at all clean. Saying that, it's not much they could have done for that Fred free kick. No, that was superb, wasn't it? Yeah. That was lovely. Player who's been linked with Manchester City as a Ooh. possible summer move. It uh, gets me a little bit excited seeing stuff like that. Yeah, you're dangerously underweight in that division. Absolutely. You yeah. certainly need that. <laughs> now, we've a question from Kevin, who's from Chicago, Illinois. USA, he's added, just in case you didn't know. He said, thanks for all the awesome podcasts. You're welcome. I look forward to them every week. My question is this, after the recent round of Champions League fixtures, who do we see as a potential winner for the tournament? Mm. Ooh. I think I still have to go with what I said uh, on an earlier podcast. Uh, the winner, whoever that might be, of PSG, Real Madrid, in my books, is also going for the whole thing. Okay. Dan? I, I, know, mean, what, I know who Dan's going with. <laughs> well, you... Uh, well, I don't know who I'm going for oh, to be okay. honest anymore. Um, I mean, like I said, I would have said Barcelona a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm less sure about that now. I mean, based on the, the games that we've seen, that the, the standout performances have come from City, Liverpool, and Spurs, haven't they? Really, mm. um, and, and Bayern Munich, of course. So it could be one of those. I don't really think City will do it this year. I don't think Liverpool are good enough defensively to do it. I don't think Spurs will do it. I could see Bayern doing it maybe now. I don't know. You it's think so? Possibly, yeah. We just discussed this on the way here. Yeah. I think there are too many factors. It starts with the goalkeeper and ends with the dependency from Lewandowski that mm. speak against it. I mean, in theory, when a team is like 100% there and everybody is there, then yeah, of course they can do it. But I don't know. I don't believe it. Now, Monday night saw first for the Bundesliga as it was the premiere of Monday night football. It's fair to say, Constantine didn't quite get in so well, did it? It was an exciting night at the office, I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, we for, had for those everything. who missed out, you can maybe you can maybe give some background and say what happened on the night. Okay, first of all, as you said, it was the first official Monday night match, and uh, it really didn't go well, or don't doesn't go well in general with uh, fans in this country. So there were big protests of the Frankfurt supporters. It started with five thousand whistles they brought to the stadium, and whenever their team had possession, they just stayed quiet. And whenever the opponent got the ball, which is the very unpopular Red Bull club Leipzig. Uh, they just whistled them. Which, like proper referee whistles? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. And it created quite an interesting atmosphere. In the beginning, you had often the situation that players stopped in their actions because they were confused uh, in the first minutes at least. Then they got used to it. Okay. But still, uh, furthermore, there were fans not on the pitch, but uh, also not only on the stands, but behind the advertisement mm -hmm. things because they had banners that they insisted on showing in the inner path of the stadium. And the club let them, actually. They didn't do anything against it. Is that so it could be picked up by TV cameras? or What do you mean? Like that they got the banners in a very particular place so that TV cameras could see them? Mm, I think it was more about making it uh, extra clear to the TV audiences at home uh, mm -hmm. in general. But yeah, of course, also mm -hmm. they, they wanted to make their point very clear. And mm -hmm. I think they did. It were quite unique, unique pictures. I never saw anything like it in the Bundesliga stadium. Yeah. And then there was the tennis balls, of course. Yeah, that was uh, quite fun, especially since they did it three times. And every time they... Three times? Yeah, every oh. time they were done, people came up and cleaned the pitch and everybody thought they were ready. And then you could just hear them uh, count down, five, four, three, two, one, and <laughs> another round. <laughs> we made a, a pretty big laugh that they should have just done the counting for a fourth time just to, you know, screw with the people. But right. uh, nevertheless, it was quite a, another bizarre situation which also delayed the uh, kickoff, which was their whole intention. Like, right. to not, to or to make sure that not anything would go down the line the DFL had pictured it. And what, what's the thinking behind the Monday night game? 
the thinking behind the Monday night game in an official way is uh, you need to have an extra date for teams who play the Europa League so they can recover longer. And of mm -hmm. course, you want the Sunday to be reserved for the amateurs, which in my opinion is just a lie because they never cared about the amateurs in all the years before. Actually, now all of a sudden they're worried about exactly, them. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a typical modern football. Well, let's call it BS. Um, oh, you can curse on this podcast. That's okay. <laughs> That's nice. I like it. Anyway, uh, I think it's most of all, as usual in professional football, when any decision is taken, it's about money. It's another date, mm. another TV, TV slot that they can sell. So, yeah, that's the whole story behind it. F TV money is a bit of a bit of a dirty thing in Germany. It's I not. don't know why I said it like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's just uh, fans get really upset when they have the feeling that the interests of the people who go to the stadium and uh, are a big part of the excitement of this product, Bundesliga, get left out and their interests completely. And when you imagine you are from Leipzig and you play in Frankfurt away, that's like a four-hour drive, I think, with a with a fast car, so mm -hmm. to speak. And then it's a Monday night. What are you going to do? You have to take a day of holiday if you want to go to the stadium and see your team. And on the other hand, the DFL, which is the German Football League, uh, runs around and uh, does advertisements with the great choreographies they do with all their flags, their TIFO. It's just not okay that they are getting left out. And uh, I think it's a good thing that they resist without any violence or anything. It's just like in England. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with, with as a, a fan of English football, I think I'm just completely des desensitized to this thing. But it is, mm. it is a really admirable, admirable stance, you know, making, like you say, making away, away fans travel miles on a Monday for a game. And um, in England, fans are just second, second class citizens, basically. They, yeah. Um, were it not for a big protest this year, they would have had Liverpool playing Arsenal on Christmas Eve and, and things like that. They've had games on New Year's Eve night uh, at different ends of the country for fans to travel. It's mm. ridiculous. But I also remember the first Monday night game in, in England was shown on Sky TV and they had cheerleaders and a guy parachuting into the stadium with the match ball and oh all that. So the, the difference uh, is, is quite stark in the way it was greeted. But what you just mentioned is exactly why the people here are so afraid of such things. We admire the football in England, the great players, the atmosphere in the stadium, but still it always feels like there's something missing. It's such a high-class product that the the core of football seems to be mm -hmm. have gotten out. And that is like a direct consequence of those decisions. And this is why people are getting so wild here. Yeah. No, They football are, doesn't matter anymore. Uh, <clears throat> I have a big question for you. I'll see if you can give a relatively considerate answer for it. I sort of feels like German football is at a bit of a crossroads. You consider the 50 plus one rule mm -hmm. is sort of in doubt. A lot of other leagues are pulling ahead in monetary terms. Clubs below Bayern really struggling, especially when you look at European results. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, is that something you worry about as a German football fan? The sort it's, of the future of the future of it a bit. That's a very very good question indeed, and that's basically the the core of the problem. At some point, you have to decide: Do you want to stay competitive in international competitions as well, or do you want to keep the so-called soul, which means affordable tickets, nice uh, time slots for away fans, and all of that stuff? Mm. You can't have both. If you ask for my personal opinion, mm. I would prefer the healthy soul and for things to stay friendly for the fans. And if that means that, uh, well, German teams compete with, I don't know, second row teams, or which uh, are currently seen as second row teams, that would be fine with me. I prefer that to okay. a soulless, high-class product. Yeah, it's a tough one. Mm. Very tough. This Sunday, Dan sees the first domestic trophy of this season 
at least in England, with the League Cup final between your Manchester City mm. and Arsenal. But before all that, Monday night. <laughs> Monday night. I mean, not only was it kicking off in Germany, oh, yeah. it was kicking off in the Wigan Tunnel. Pep Guardiola. What a sore loser. Yeah. Anyway, what went wrong? Will Grigg, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He's on fire. Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, it was... Um, it was a smash and grab from Wigan, but you know they were they did start the game forty five league positions below City in the in the table, so you would expect City to dominate that game. Um, Fabian Delft got sent off just before half time. I don't think that affected the outcome of the game really. Deserved red card. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was quite the tackle. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of of all the the sort of complaining that City have done about tackles this um, this season, they can't complain about stuff like that really, and and they, they're not complaining about it. I don't think. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was yeah. disappointing disappointing night, but these things happen, don't no they? No quadruple. No, I, I mean I was extremely sceptical about possibility of that happening anyway. To be honest, so I'd say that I thought this would have been the easiest one for you to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But however, anyway, it is City in the final, and you know it's kind of handy that you're on here because you're a City fan. Mm. I'm quite interested to know what. You know, you've had quite a while now to analyse this season and to think about what's what's been so different for them. Is it just, I have a couple of questions to go with it. Like, is it just the new players? Is it that the style has basically taken hold? Pep's style has taken hold? What, what is yeah, it? Yeah, there's, there's a few factors to it, really. I mean, the new players, some of the new signings have been fantastic. Edison, the goalkeeper, has, has been superb. Um, the way he's actually making saves, unlike the guy they had in goal last season, has, has mm. changed the. the it's good when your goalkeeper team. saves. It does, yeah. Mm. I mean, I think he would have saved that Will Grigg shot the other night actually if he'd been in goal. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we'll probably come to that in a minute. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Kyle Walker's been a great buy as well. Um, and so it's a mix of all this, all of this together. Yeah, really. a bit, a bit of. Um, a bit more time for, for Pep's philosophy, for want of a better word, to to get across to the players. I mean, I remember him speaking after the the Monaco Champions League defeat last last season when he said that he wasn't able to convince his players of the right way to play in that game, and I think he has now convinced them. And God, that's amazing. Yeah. Pep Guardiola saying he can't convince players to play his way despite all the success he's had. Yeah, yeah. Well, he couldn't on that on that occasion anyway. Um, I think City have been helped by the fact that they've not had too many injury problems this season. They've generally had players recover quite quickly when they've been injured. Um, players like Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, pretty much every player in the squad is having the best season of their career as well. I think it's mm-hmm. been a bit of a perfect storm in that regard. Um, yeah, it's just been a, a, a sort of melting pot of all these different things that have, have all come together at the right time. Myself and Constantine were having a little conversation earlier. We were wondering who you would rather play under. Pep or Mourinho? <sighs> Pep. We both went for Mourinho, 100%. didn't we? Absolutely. Why? I feel like Pep's a bit snidey. <laughs> Guardiola is a brilliant coach, but I could never have the feeling that he is always telling me the truth. I mean, if he <laughs> behaves on the intern as he does on the outside, I will never believe the, the story with Dante at Bayern when he stood in front of the press and uh, kept repeating that he mm. wished he had 11 Dantes and I think 10 days later Dante was sold. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that sort of hurts your Well, maybe belief. he meant he wished he'd had 11 Dantes so he could raise a lot of money to buy new players. And that was so probably the explanation that mm. was not uh, going through because of his poor I don't even I think he was speaking English actually already so it wasn't even his poor German no. I don't know <laughs> Jose anyway, all the way speaking of Bravo mm. he's going to start he has yeah 
I mean, we've got to say that it's um, it is his penalty shootout heroics that have helped City get to the final this season. So, so he, he deserves that that start. But I don't have a lot of confidence in him at all. Um, you know, like I said, I think he was uh, he went down like a sack of potatoes for that Will Grigg goal the other night. And um, I think the good thing for City is that Arsenal are also playing their rubbish number two. Um, <laughs> so, so it's going to be it probably end up being eight all or something like that um, if every team has a, you know a few shots on target. Um, Any other major sort of lineup considerations for City? I would have thought he would go full strength, especially having exited the cup the other night. It, it suddenly. I was just going to say, I think it's an amazing thing to say about a cup final, even if it's just the League Cup, that both sides are going to play parts of their so-called rubbish. I mean, that's that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I may not be the best person to speak to because the closest my team has come to a cup final was a half final, the first in like thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> but still, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it is the Carabao Cup after all, so it yeah. sort of uh, undermines itself before anyone else does, doesn't it? Um, I, I believe Alan, Aaron Ramsey's probably not going to play for Arsenal. I think that's a big loss for them. Um, but, but other than that, I, w- I would imagine both sides will go all guns blazing with the exception of the goalkeepers. And the How worried are you about Arsenal? Quite worried, yeah. A little, a little more worried after the game on Monday night. Um I mean, they've got lots of attacking quality players who can, who are match winners. Players like Aubameyang, Özil, uh, Mkhitaryan can cause any team problems. Um, I, as I always say, um, I think Arsenal are, are very weak defensively, and that, that's going to be their problem. And if it's a case of both teams having good games, then City's good game is better than Arsenal's good game. So I'd fancy City to, to win the game. But it's a final. Uh, as Sol Campbell would say, you know, it's uh, <laughs> Sol Campbell. Anyone can win. Anyone can win. Where can they say if you, you know, Arsene Wenger gets on the blower and says, Dan, you know a bit about Manchester City. Mm. What tips can you give me? Where would I? Where would? Where's best to attack? Um. I'm basically asking for your team's yeah, weaknesses. Yeah, they don't, they don't have know. any obvious weaknesses, City, really. I would still say that central defence, you know, for all the money they've spent, it, it is a little bit... The, 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 there are players there capable of a Rick. You know, John Stones is one of them. Um, I don't know if they bought a Rick, uh, a, a mistake, an error. Is this like a Manchester thing? I don't think so, no. no. A Rick? Yeah. I never heard that's, that before either. Yeah, it's a new one for me. When you get home. Okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I think defensively City aren't the the strongest side in the world. I mean, I always sort of look at that game against Liverpool when they they completely folded in in ten minutes and conceded those goals. You know, Arsenal have got players that can that can do that to you. So that that could potentially be a problem for City. But there aren't any obvious weaknesses really. Ooh, yeah. Spoken like a confident man. Reasonably confident. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to go for the win for City? Yeah. yeah. In ninety minutes? Yeah, two one, I think. Constantine, would you like to throw in a prediction? If I would make a guess, I would also put my money on City, definitely. In 90 minutes? Yeah. Okay, well that's all from us today. My thanks to Dan, Constantine and producer Damo. And my thanks to you for listening. 